What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Um. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Welcome to Law Librarian Conversations on Blog Talk Radio, the podcast about all things law library, legal bibliography, and the law library profession. Thanks for joining us. Okay, well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound like a professional uh, introduction? I almost feel like I'm on the radio or something. Well, thank you um, for uh, joining us and for everybody that's on the uh, panel. We have a very exciting show for you in store today. My name's Richard Leiter. I'm your uh, host of Law Librarian Conversations. And joining me... Um, in studio, um, such as it is, from the executive suites. Uh, see, Greg, we don't have a C-suite. We have executive suites here at the Mighty Schmid Law Library, Marcia Doherty Baker. And then across the um, the land, we have quite a panel. Um, let's see, starting from the... Um, West Coast, and let's work our way east, see if I can do this. Uh, Holly Riccio, our uh, um, exalted uh, president of AALL, joining us from San Francisco. Hi Hello. there. Hey there. And then uh, moving east, uh, Melissa Bernstein from Salt Lake City, University of Utah. Hi. And Sarah Glassmeyer uh, from Cali, regular panel. Hey there. That's right, Melissa. You're a first timer on the um, the podcast, aren't you? I am. I've been a listener, but never a uh, presenter. So thank you. Uh Welcome aboard. Um, And then let's see, uh, Greg Lambert down in Texas. Hello. And uh, and I have to say, uh, one of our uh, what is your candidate nominee for AALL uh, president and former executive um, uh, board member, and um, you know just so that I'm not playing favorites, uh, Diane Rod- Rodriguez is your opponent. So yes. equal time there. I, I cried when I learned that I was having to go up against my one of my best friends for this. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the problems with uh, running for anything in this profession. It, we're too small not to know everybody else. And, heck, we are a, a profession uh, filled with pretty nice, likable people for the most part. So, yeah, you're, you're, you've got it tough there. Yeah. And then further east, uh, Ken Hirsch from Cincinnati and executive board member. And it's an executive board member and um, karaoke uh, aficionado. 
Thank you for the University of Cincinnati. And then, did I get everybody? Uh, Last but not least, in Washington, D.C., from the Government um, Affairs Office, Government Relations Office, we have uh, uh, Emily Feltrin, our Director of um, Public... uh, Wait a minute. I can never get the name right. Director of Government Relations. That's Emily. right. Hi, everyone. And Elizabeth Holland, our Public Policy Associate. Hi, Rich. Hey there. Okay. And that's, uh, with all the introductions, we're about out of time, so thanks for joining us. <laughs> Good show, everyone. So, um, let's see. I just wanted to, to mention a couple of things. It's, there's been a lot, actually happening lately and a few things that we just need to mention for uh all of our guests and uh um and just to be sure that we touch on them before we break up today uh, one one thing that I had from my notes from the last podcast that we did that I just wanted to mention and point out was that Duke uh announced that it was ceasing all print of its law reviews um, as far as I know, they're the only first and only like major law review that has stopped publishing uh, in print altogether. Does anybody think that's interesting or weird or scary or otherwise? I, I think it's interesting. My, I mean, it's a good first step. Now we just need to get them to stop publishing in PDF. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least some alternative in addition to PDF. I mean, right now, they're probably, I mean, I'm guessing, having not read the news release, that the PDFs are going to look exactly like print, just sure. not print. <laughs> so right. if they could have it in a more malleable format, that would be awesome. And also indexed and all that stuff. I mean, I guess that's a question. Is it still going to be, if it's not in print, I guess it will still be indexed by the index to legal periodicals and all that fun stuff. That shouldn't change. I hope. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's going to have an impact on the um, um, how much other scholars are going to use their work or citations to it. Who knows? Well, this is Ken. This comes as the continuing saga of the implementation of the Durham Statement. Mm Mm-hmm adopted in November of 2008. Right. Are you aware of anybody else either contemplating going this route or? I'm not aware, but I have, but then again, I mean, Duke actually dropped all but their two flagships from print several years ago, shortly after the the Duke statement. And they finally, um, I'm thinking before the news release, um, Melanie Dunshee, their deputy director, or I'm sorry, her title now is assistant dean of, of the law library, not not deputy director, um, mm. had presented a program, a webinar for B Press several weeks ago, where she discussed this very uh, fact that that they were moving entirely to relying on their digital comments platform. Mm-hmm. And, well, well, I don't know. That- Go ahead. Another issue, just to be total Debbie Downer about this. I mean, another issue is that they're if they're depending entirely on B Press and not 
their local hosting at all. It's a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> well, and later in the show, we want to get spend some time on um, uh, preservation and preservation week. And I don't know, this kind of raises an issue. I'm going to asterisk this. It, it seems to me that if you publish on digital format, is there a way that you can, how do you ar- archive it or how do you back it up? How do you preserve it other than well, it, switching it, moving it from platform to platform? And In anticipation of the discussion, uh, we should note that Clocks is available through Digital Commons. And we'll talk more, I'm sure, later about yeah. Okay. All right. It's, it's also available um, in partnership with uh, with LIPA, actually. So. There you go. All right. Yeah. So let's um, let's start that and come back to it. I wanted to put in a plug um, for and mention the Spirit uh, Mursky Spirit of Law Librarianship Award. Announce a couple of announcements. I think have gone out. We're looking for. Um, 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 nominees for this year's award um, June 1st I think is the deadline um, if somebody knows a librarian who is volunteering or doing some kind of service to their uh, community please let me know we've been doing this now for uh, 24 years and so we have a lot of um, uh We've had a lot of wonderful people nominated and recognized uh, over the years. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, Let's see, another news. Uh, Melissa Bernstein is, uh, uh, have you started yet your your appointment um, as a new member of the Depository Library Council? No, I think uh, we officially start June 1st. Okay. Well, congratulations. That's pretty neat. Thank you. I'm very excited. Yeah. Do you know um, what you're supposed to be doing in that role or what you will be doing? Um, Moderately. I I can tell you that next week, for anyone who's interested, there is a Depository Library Council virtual meeting, which people Mm -hmm. can register for online and attend from the safety of your office. It's uh, the 28th through the 30th of April. So I'm hoping that participating in that, I'll get a better idea. Yeah. Well, I put in the show notes that uh, I think that you should recommend taking over uh, ProQuest uh, Congressional, just nationalizing it. Yeah, excellent. I'm sure they won't have any objection to that. (laughs) ProQuest in particular. I mean, it's all, you know, public information anyway. What the heck? Um, let's see, we have coming up, uh, Callie is coming up in June, right? Yes, I should have the dates memorized. I think it's June 16th through 18th. I should really know Uh, that. Um, but yes, in Denver, Colorado at the University of Denver. Denver is always a wonderful place to uh, visit. Um, yeah, I was, I remember that from my first visit was at AAOL in Denver and it's, a really nice town and we're close to mass transit. So the hotel where the um, people will be staying. So 
you know, encouraging people to do a lot more exploration of the city and all that stuff. Neat. Yeah, and it's, it's at the tank. University <laughs> of Denver. It, and please, say that again. It's at the University of Denver? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So right. I'm actually looking forward to, you know, with it being – I mean, it's not, it doesn't get too humid here, but I just remember Denver is lovely in the summer, and I know we're doing a lot of outdoor events for the meals mm-hmm. and stuff just to get people out of the building and, mm-hmm. cool. you know, enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then one one thing that um, sort of popped up on my radar recently um, that I wanted to just throw out to the group, I haven't heard much more about it, but... Um, so one day I went down to the student lounge to get a bag of chips or something, and I saw a student sitting at a table there um, acting as a student rep for Ravel Law. Um, that, that sort of surprised me. Is that happening? Any of the other people on the call who are in academic libraries? Ravel Law is got student reps. This is yeah, Ken. I, certain- We've been contacted by Ravel Law uh, to ask whether we want to sign on to. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly to call the process. So they're looking for huh. customers. We haven't signed up yet because we were. By the time we got contacted, we were near the end of our semester. It's yeah. a, it's a very interesting product, though. Not that I've looked at it in depth yet. Right. Huh. Well, and, yeah, and I, I oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. I was going to say I had, uh, uh, in fact, I just had lunch, and I'm just getting back from lunch uh, with uh, Corey Bray from Ravel Law, and he mentioned something. I think he said at somewhere between ten and fifteen law schools where they have student reps. Oh, okay. So huh. I think USC. It may it may be a lot on the on the West Coast. Um, um, but uh, he he said one of the things that they're trying to do is to uh, get included on the orientation packet, um, so right. that uh, people see that that's that's an option outside of Westlaw and Lexis. Well, so it's interesting that you um, he's contacted you, or do they have a commercial product? Oh yeah, they- yeah they. It, and it hasn't been out very long. Um, the uh, really, there's some some amazing things. In fact, I I don't know that I've been as excited about new products that are coming out. Um, geez, I don't know. Since I worked at the Oklahoma Supreme Court Network, and you know, twelve years yeah. ago, yeah, uh, thirteen years ago, um, and that uh, the interesting thing is, and I, and I kind of told this group yesterday, I think, is uh, the codex, uh, whatever the, the the technology group or uh, project that's coming out of Stanford School, yep. yep. um, is just, man, they're, they're really coming up with some cool ideas. Um, so yep. just, uh, I, I think... Um, Products like uh, Lex Machina, which is uh, has been out on the market for two, three years now. Um, it's an it's an IP analytical tool 
um, that goes through and and looks at IP dockets and and sorts things out on like how long it it would normally take to take a certain case to trial, what judge what what judges have dealt with it, how they typically ruled on it. Uh, I mean, it's just a, a a number of things, and and I, the comment I heard. heard from one of the attorneys, we have it here at, at my firm, and if and I was telling Corey today, I said, well, if you ever want a librarian just to roll over and buy something, um, get your attorney to tell him this or her this. <laughs> Is to have the attorney come to them and saying, I am tired of having my quote rear end quote unquote handed to me in court because this other firm is using this product and we don't have it. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, yeah. well, yeah, I, I guess we'll get that then. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, Lex McKenna has, has come out of there. Uh, uh, Ravel Law is, is coming out of there. Uh, case Text um, out of there. If you go, if you look up the the Codex uh, uh, website there at Stanford, you just have this list of, and and I imagine it's probably because there's a lot of VC money. Uh, floating there, there, and you know, there's a lot of talent both at Stanford and in at Silicon Valley for this type of stuff. So, um, I, it, it's really interesting. It's just, just yeah. amazing the the stuff that's coming out. You know, I we should have um, I should plan maybe um, a show next month where I try to get a lot of these people on. Uh, a case text is another one that's doing some really exciting. Um, Things innovations on uh, legal research and and they're also another one that's there at Stanford. Have, um, yeah. Holly, have you are you finding at Mo Melvany or have, are these companies approaching you? Or are you working with any of these yeah. new startups? Yeah, we. Um, I mean, well, I don't I don't know if we're doing anything to to assist them, but we're buying some of their products because we have Lex Machina. Um, oh, and actually, okay. I think what's What's interesting about them, um, I mean, right now it's just IP cases, which is great, but um, I think they have, and I I believe it's public, I think they're working on, I want to say maybe another area of law, um, but if they can expand outside of that, that's going to be huge because, of course, you know, now I get these questions from other people who come to me from some other department saying, you know, can we do that? Can we slice and dice, you know, labor and employment cases like that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can't yet, but I have a feeling you know, that, um, like Greg said, I mean, that information is, is crucial, um, especially if, you know, someone else has it and you don't or someone else can figure that out. So I think they're, that's their market, and I think if they can expand that, um, they're just going to continue to grow. Um, some of the others that we've looked at, but I don't, um, I don't know what – I'm not quite sure what the use case is in the firm yet or how um, helpful it will be, but I think as they continue to develop – um, and then, of course, if students are looking at them and then coming into our world, you know, we're going to have to kind of figure out where that fits in. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I was talking with the both, I, I just happened to be talking with the uh, case text people yesterday and the um, uh, uh, oh shoot, <laughs> my brain just locked up. But uh, and I was talking with with Corey uh, today. Um, you know, where where I think. We're really kind of looking at technologies that I think are the first step to getting where keyword and Boolean searching 
will not be the primary way to get to the information. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, so Corey said, Corey at Ravel said that, you know, we're looking at maybe 10 years away and maybe faster than that. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100%, Greg. The, um, in in all of the years that I've been a librarian, the, there's always been talk on and off about how computers were going to replace libraries and everything. And I was very cynical about that because it seemed to me that all they were doing is digitizing books, you know, and which is fine for photocopying and printing and stuff like that, but didn't really do that much that was different than books or the other tools that we had. But now in the last few years, um, really new different things are happening. I think that we finally got to the point where we're, I think technology's promise is uh, almost going to be realized. And and Lex Machina, Machina, or however you pronounce it, and Ravel and and some of the neat things that Fast Cases is doing as well. It's way different than than it was uh, ten years ago, and it's really cool. I think. I would say the 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 biggest barrier right now is uh, is content. I mean, the the big players have the content. They have they have the access, um, but they don't have the. I don't know that that startup mentality that you know let's that you know, that gee whiz bang interface a really cool idea you know they're they're kind of stuck um, supporting you know the the, the old interface and, and content so you're sitting on this wealth and you know and the the access is like you know it's like an old hole in the tree you know that you got rather rather than a shiny building um, so. I, I hope these guys really get some good content, um, but uh, and and can apply all of this all this really cool technology uh, to it. Yeah. Okay, I think if I'm not mistaken, Elizabeth Farrell has just uh, joined us. Yeah, that's me. Sorry to sorry to come in late. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt. So Better late than never. Mm-hmm. Um. Good. We're glad to have you. Thanks. Um, all right. So, um, does anybody else have any just little newsy things they want to mention before we move on to the main attraction? Oh, the Apple um, Watch was supposedly available today. This is Apple Watch Day. Anybody on the panel going to be getting one? No. No, I don't even wear Beyonce, a watch. But <laughs> we're, we're not Beyonce, so we don't get the preferential treatment. Yeah. Right. yeah. You should uh, bring June Liebert on the show in a couple of weeks and ask her how she likes hers. She's getting one. Is she getting one? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we'll have to look and see. That'll be something to to watch for. Double A double L. Well, the big question, yeah, if it's going to be a giveaway at Double A double L, that'll be the hot the hot giveaway Ooh. for a vendor. <laughs> Duly noted. Okay. <laughs> ah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's definitely going to be a hot, 
hot commodity. I, heck, I'll listen to uh, pitches about products all day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was the ABA Tech Show that um, one of the either vendors or somebody raffled off a drone. A drone? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think so. Wow, pretty neat. All right. Well, without any further ado, um wanted to um Holly Riccio, our president, is a special guest here today and um she wanted to talk to us about a couple of things and we had a couple of interesting things going on at AAL. So what's going on at AAL? Well, there is a lot going on. Um first of all there's this small little event we're going to be holding in Philadelphia in July. I don't know if any of you've heard about it. Um, (laughs) The annual meeting is taking place from the 18th to the 21st. Um, So Uh that's kind of the biggest thing that's going on and a lot of um, prep uh, going into that right now. Um, Some things I just wanted to highlight on that. One of the things is we have a new app this year for the annual meeting. Um, uh, It's uh, EventMobi, I believe is the company, if I'm getting that right. And I know Ken Ken may be able to jump in more with details on the app, but I know some of the things I thought were pretty nice is that um, you can add things to your schedule, um, all the AAAL events, meetings, everything that's on there, and then you can export it all to your your own, your Outlook calendar or whatever calendar you're Uh, using, because I believe that was a big question from various folks um, last year. Um, There's also, amongst the other things that you can do, there's also the ability to take notes within the app. Um, so you're at a program, you have a program on your, your own personal schedule. You can take notes within the app and save them. And then at the very end of the conference, you can email yourself all of the notes and they're going to come in an email delineated by the program. So it'll have the program name and then your notes and the program, next program name and your notes. So, um, so I thought that was kind of a nice feature as well to, you know, yeah. keep things together a little bit more. Um, so those are the two things I, I personally liked. Um, Ken, actually, do you have anything else you might want to add about the app because you saw it too and we took a look well, at it. Uh, Chris Siwa, the IT head at uh, the association, demonstrated it for us a few weeks ago. It's actually, and I'm not sure I'm going to get all the terminology right on this, but I would consider it a hybrid app. It's it, What it actually does yeah. is, is it runs on the web under HTML5, which allows for the use of latest designs and back-end scripting. And, but it 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 creates a shortcut on whatever platform you're using, whether it be iOS, Android, your desktop, so that it's a one-click or oh, cool. uh, a two-click uh, touch, and you you get this customized front end that's actually taking the back end from a website, from EventMobi, and delivering all this to, all this functionality to you. So. Huh. Experience is basically identical regardless of the platform you're on. Right. Yeah, so so I think it's pretty nice. So I encourage people to take a look and start adding things to their schedule and, and, uh, and playing around with it. Is it It is. So if you go on the um, AALL annual meeting site and click on, I believe oh. it's the either conference schedule or schedule programs or something like that, um, then there'll be a link there to it, and you can get into it that way. Yeah. And you can, Marcy, you know, add your add your photo and put a little profile up and put all your LinkedIn, LinkedIn Facebook, all your info in there. And you can also find it uh, on, in, app, in the Apple Store, in the App Store, and um, on Google Play. 
Yeah, Marcia put a link to it in the um, uh, chat room. So those of you who are listening, click in there. So cool. Yeah, so that's the so that's the the first step, right? Before we get there, um, yeah. a couple other things. Um, so uh, Carol Watson, who's the who's the the most fabulous AMPC chair ever, um, and she and I sort of when we started thinking about the annual meeting and some of the things we wanted to do, you know, kind of put our own personal touch on it and, and a little different. Um, we've decided that we are separated at professional birth because um, we had a lot of the same ideas. Um, so, but a, a couple of those. Um, one thing we're going to try this year. I know we don't have the um, Hein Fun Run anymore, um, so we are actually going to have um, yoga um, each morning. Um, so it's going to be in the in the Marriott, um, and it'll be um, you know sponsored, yeah. and we have a we'll have a person coming in. So it's a little early. It's from six to seven, but that gives you enough time to you know then go back and do what you need to do to get ready for meetings. Um, but we wanted to just try something different. So we'll see, mm-hmm. you know, if people resonate with that and want to do it. Um, if we get, you know, a lot of people doing it, then we can maybe continue that in future years. But that's something we're just kind of trying. Um, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Another thing um, that uh, I wanted to try, um, I had talked with uh, Frank Hodeck, who's the chair of the AALL Awards Committee, um, about trying to share the knowledge, expertise, inspiration from um, our highest award winners, the Gallagher Award winners, um, more widely with everybody. You know, they get to speak at the luncheon, but that's kind of a brief, very brief speech. It's more to thank people and kind of make a little personal comment. Um, But we wanted to do something a little different. So on Sunday, um, from 5.15 to 6.15, we're going to be doing something we're calling the Gallagher Up Close and Personal and so um, Frank is going to be kind of having an informal conversation with the recipients um, for this year. Um, so I encourage people to to drop by and try to, you know, especially younger and newer librarians who may not have a sense of who some of these people are, um, you know, to really um, get a sense and kind of learn and be inspired by them. So I'm hoping that that um, is successful. So we're trying that. That's new as well. Who, who are the the winners this year? I I don't believe that has come out yet, so I oh, okay. I am not right. at, not at liberty to say, but that will be out very shortly. Right. Okay. Um, and so, um, but I was um, going to say I, I, I hadn't heard yet. No, that, that's they're they're still getting all that together. But that's but before we before we even knew who yeah. they were, we definitely wanted to do that event. So, sure, so I encourage good. people to come to that, or you know, to, when you talk to people, especially again people who may not know who some of these folks are, um, I think that's a, a good opportunity. Um, yeah. The other thing we're doing is um, we bumped up how many programs per slot a little bit. Um, so we have eight programs per slot um, just to add a little more variety, um, make sure there's something for everybody, hopefully, in each slot. So we wanted to do that. Um, and then we are also um, having the Law Librarian Conversations, uh, of the live AALL Philly edition. So we're going to yeah. be doing that each day. Um, <laughs> so it, it kind of has a two-prong uh uh, purpose. I mean, obviously, I think it'll be interesting for people to stop by at the end of the day, share things, um, you know, and have some conversations. But for those who unfortunately may not be able to go to the meeting, um, you know, hopefully there's a very, very small number of those. But for the folks that can't, um, or for folks that you know are in other areas that are just really interested in what's going on there, um, you know, they'll be able to listen to that um, um, live. You know, if even if they're not in Philly. So, um, so I encourage yeah. people to to stop by and share things or bring bring speakers or bring interesting folks by there, and, and we're just going to kind of see how that works out. So those were some of the it, kind of the different things that, that we sort of thought we would try. 
And if I um, may just sort of add to your comment before somebody gets the wrong idea, when when you say, you know, bring interesting people by, we'd like them to be affiliated with yeah. law librarianship in the conference. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't want you to pick people up off the street. It's, you know, there's always that possibility. Like if you're moderating a panel and have a speaker or you have a VIP guest yeah. or something like that. Yeah, no, I yeah, I should have clarified. No, I'm kidding. Good. I don't I don't want to stick you with I don't know what, yeah. you know, but you 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 guys would make the best of it, I'm sure. So maybe we get a convert. We get, you know, a a member yeah. out of it or something. You never know. Um yeah. and then and then of course the 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 very exciting um keynote speaker, um which is actually why I may have to drop off this call a little early because I have a a call right afterwards. Um, with her, I'm super excited that Terry Gross is going to be our keynote speaker. Um, so she's going to be sharing some of her experiences um, as an interviewer, um, the good, the bad, um, you know, what she's learned from things and kind of her insight. And so I think that um, fits in really well with the theme of connecting and kind of, you know, developing those kind of relationships. And, you know, she's able to ask these questions and get people to share things, um, you know, it's almost seamlessly, um, but obviously it doesn't happen that way. And so, um, and she's also very, uh, um, very fond of, I know, librarians and research. She does, you know, a lot of research on her, um, the people that she interviews. And I know that um, they routinely give honor credit to their librarian um, at NPR. So, um, so I'm really excited about that too. Um, yeah. So that, and I, um, so that's another thing that is coming up. So, that's kind of those are the things I wanted to highlight about the annual meeting. I mean, if anybody has specific questions or other anybody on the panel want to add anything else, I, I'm no. looking forward to it. I love Philadelphia. There are so many neat histor- historical kinds of things to do. So many, so much great food, and um, it, it's a wonderful place for a uh, conference and for everything I've I've seen. It's going to be um, uh, a lot of really rich programming, so that'll be fun. Yeah, we've we've got a lot of a lot of good programs, a lot of outside speakers. I should also note that the um, the luncheon, the AALA luncheon speaker will be um, God. Why am I now? Why am I blanking? Um, Ross Davies um, from the Green Bag, also known as one of the Bobblehead guys. Um, oh. So he will be um, he will be our luncheon speaker and I can't make any promises but there may be some Supreme Court bobblehead giveaway opportunities uh mm-hmm. still working on that one but we'll we'll see but he's going to um be the the speaker there in addition to the the Gallagher award winners so um need so the other thing I was going to share about was um the ABA there's some the ABA Innovation Summit on the Future of Legal Services so the ABA president, um, a while back, um, William Hubbard, established a commission on the future of legal services. And um, when they were established, they asked for various stakeholders and constituents to share comments based on a, a, a position paper that they had put out. And so uh, we submitted comments from AALL, um, mostly around access to justice issues and places where, you know, we feel that we can add some value and, and you know, partner more with the ABA and other entities um, in that arena. So we submitted our written comments, um, and then they decided that they were going to have a hearing at their mid-year meeting, which was in, uh, in Houston in uh, February, I think it was early February, 
And so I, I went ahead and attended that and um, testified in person and, and shared kind of a portion of our comments in a five-minute distilled uh, version. And let me tell you, five minutes goes by really fast. Um, yeah. <laughs> I tried to, tried to get it all in. Um, and so we, we shared that, and there were a bunch of other people there, um, the CEO of LegalZoom, um, a, a, one of the guys from AVO, um, various other people that are involved in access to justice issues, some um, some state court uh, judges, various other constituents. So it was very interesting not only to have the opportunity to present that information to the to the committee, but also um, just to listen to the other folks that were in the room. And then after um, this hearing, they decided that they were going to put on this innovation summit. And um, so it's an invitation-only event, and so AALL um, was invited to participate. So it's going to be May 2nd to the 4th at Stanford Law School. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and attend that on behalf of AALL. And um, I can't get the live chat to work, but I did send someone a link, um, so hopefully somebody will post the link. But they do have their agenda up on their website. Um, I won't go through it all, but I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for um, – kind of breakout groups and having these discussions. I think at the very end they're going to have some reaction panels um, and people that are going to be reporting out from the groups. So I'm really hopeful that, um, you know, that we can uh, make some good connections and partnerships and see what kind of opportunities there are um, with AALL and the ABA in terms of the access to justice issues. Um, some of the speakers, um, Andrew Perlman, Perlman from Suffolk, who's actually the co-chair of the commission, um, Richard Suskin, who we all know as a past AALL keynote, um, and Monica Bay, who used to be with Law Technology News, and I, she's listed as a fellow at Codex, so because um, I know she retired from Law Technology News, but I guess she's um, involved with Codex now. So hmm. I'm really excited about that. So I'm excited about that both from the AALL angle and also, frankly, from my law firm angle and kind of what you know what they're going to be talking about. Um, so it sounds really exciting. So I'm looking forward to attending and then obviously being able to um, report back and, and kind of share, um, you know, what what that means for AALL and what kind of opportunities we can build on. Great need. Is so anybody else I, on the going? Is anyone else from on, on the panel here? Probably okay. not. Yeah, yeah. All I think right. it's. Um, I mean, it's, it's. I think it's a lot of the people that ended up testifying there, and actually some of the people that testified are also speaking too, um, yeah. on various issues. So, huh. um, do you happen to know if they're broadcasting it in any way, or? It doesn't say. Um, so I'm actually. I'm not sure. I would guess, if anything, maybe some of the speakers would, but then there's a lot of this kind of breakout stuff. So, um, oh yeah. To, I'll, it could get kind of funky. I'm not sure, but I'll um, I'll actually take a look. I have some other communications from them to see what they're doing because I know there's like a there's a plenary session. There's some kind of you know bigger things, um, but I'm not sure what they're set up for there at um, at the law school. So, hmm. well, like Greg said, a lot of uh, innovation and a lot of interesting thinking is going on these days at Stanford when it comes to uh, technology and. Uh, Law and law practice and and things. This could be very exciting. Actually, the day before that, they're doing their annual Codex Future of Law conference because that one I'm going to, and that, that's oh. open to anyone. <laughs> it's not invite only, so I, I'm going to that one. But um, is that on the I first or? or 
please? It's April 30th. Oh, April 30th. Yeah, okay. April 30th. And I guess I'm looking at it. I'm bad with dates today, clearly. Um, it's in the same week. You know? Yeah. No, that's great. Huh. Um, yeah, so it means um, the only, I mean, the good and the bad, right? The only, it's it's in my backyard, so it's pretty easy. Um, I don't get to go to the Canadian Association this year because it overlaps, but I'm going to switch with uh, Steve Anderson, so he's going to attend the Canadian Association this year, and then I can go the following year. So, so we made mm-hmm. everything work out because this seemed like a really great opportunity, and I, we didn't want to pass it up. So. Yeah. Well, have fun, and I can't wait to hear um, how it goes. Yeah, I will. I will try to tweet or something. Sometimes I'm not real good at that, especially when I'm in it. But I'll try to uh, I'll try to do something, and I'm sure they have. I think they already have hashtags um, that they've identified. Um, I think those are on their website too, so you can follow those as the as those days go on. Because okay. I know on Saturday and Sunday everybody's really going to want to follow this, but um, <laughs> so yeah. it's on a weekend. But still, so. Hmm. Um, and then well, the only fine. other thing I really wanted to. Um, I'm really, really excited about is um, the AAL rebranding initiative. Um, so this was um, mentioned in, I think we had a communication that went out from me that talked about a lot of different things that that um, the board and the association have been looking at um, coming out of our fall retreat where we kind of threw a lot of stuff on the table and really looked at, you know, uh, how being strategic about what we're doing. And so we have engaged a company called Mission Minded. Um, they're... I think their home base is actually out here in the Bay Area, but their folks are all over. And, in fact, the fact that two um, people that are working with us, I believe, are based out of uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, And they work primarily or almost specifically with nonprofits. So they don't work with big corporations around branding. They really focus on uh, the nonprofit world. So that, um, I thought, is really important and I think really um, will be beneficial to us as we move through this. So when we had the board meeting in Chicago a couple weeks ago, um, before we had the board meeting, we had a day um, where we just met with them um, and kind of did a lot of brainstorming and activities around um, our brand, around AALL, trying to, you know, kind of talk about, you know, where we're going, where do we see ourselves, what has changed, um, you know, what do we represent, um, where do we want the profession to move. So, um, So we did a lot of exercises around that. Um, the two uh, women that were there really have done their homework. They've actually, prior to that meeting, had already um, interviewed quite a few of our members to talk to them about, um, you know, what they think of um, of the association, what it means to them, other thoughts about branding with other associations and all kinds of things like that. So they did their homework um, and had a lot of information. They really kind of know who we are. So I think that that's great, too. Of course, they were impressed with us because they said, you know, usually they don't go into an association and and are presented with not only an official historian but a 24-page document on the association's history. So, um, you know, of course, we're librarians, right? So, of course, we're going to have that. But um, they were um, notably impressed by that. So um, So so I... Is part of this uh, process of rebranding is the, the name of the profession or the name of the association also uh, in play or that will be part of the discussion yes so it's they're going to look at everything they're going to look at i mean and it doesn't mean it's going to change or it's not going to change there's really you know no no guarantee one way or the other but they're going to look at the name they're looking at our logo they're looking at our tagline um you know they'll leave you know they do stuff around colors and looks and 
you know, all kinds of stuff. So it's it's a completely comprehensive project. Okay. Um, now the um, National Association for Legal Placement um, recent, used them recently, and they actually only had them do their, I believe it was their logo, um, and they. Um, Kate Hagan, I believe, talked to somebody there, and they said they actually wished they had done more. They wished they had gone further and done more than just the logo, but done kind of a more comprehensive uh, package. So, um, so that's what we're doing. Um, so mm. The next steps, we're going to get some. Inf- they're kind of, you know, they said they go, they take everything that they learned from us during that day, and you know, they go back, and you know, that's where you know the the sausage gets made. They have arguments about you know very specific words and what things mean and what they think would be best and. They do a lot of work on their end, and then they're going to come back with some more information for the board to look at. Um, it kind of distills a lot of what they talk about. Um, and then at, at some point, I assume after the summer, um, we will be asking all members to to give their opinions and thoughts on this because um, the point really is to get everybody to have a discussion around this whole topic and kind of share things. I mean, a lot of you know PLL has now changed their name, um, the SCCLL is, has changed their name, you know, so a lot of, you know, SLA talked about this years ago, you know, it's definitely been a topic um, of interest, and so I think it's it's kind of the right time for us to really look at this and see where we're going to position ourselves um, for future success. So I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what happens with it. Um, I think the group we're working with is fantastic, um, and I really want to encourage everybody you know, I'll do it on this call and I'll try to do it as much as I can, you know, when we ask members to participate and share their thoughts, um, to please do so. Um, because the only way we can really get to, you know, kind of, you know, the best, the, the right answer, the, the place that we should all be is if everybody weighs in. Um, so I really encourage everybody to, to share their thoughts when, when we reach out and give that opportunity. Um, I don't know, Ken, uh, actually Ken and Emily, I think we're both, um, we're both there, so I don't know if either of you have anything you want to add from that session. I think you've uh, described it quite accurately, and uh, I would only add, not add, but reiterate for anyone listening that the goal is to get wide participation from the membership in uh, as far as getting input. Yeah, and I, I should also add um, that in this meeting, we'll have another one in the summer, um, I believe another one uh, with the fall board meeting, that we also have um, representatives from the three different library type SISs. So we have someone from PLL, um, SCCLL, and uh, the academics. I mean, it's going to be the same person at each meeting to provide some consistency and to have that voice um, as well. So so we wanted to make sure that we had that um, those folks in the room to really kind of help us with this. So, um, so we've tried to get everybody involved from the start. Hmm. Pretty fun. Um, yeah, exciting stuff. I, I personally like it because I think probably if I wasn't a librarian, I would be in some sort of like marketing thing where you're thinking about taglines and logos and all the words and all that kind of nuanced stuff. I, I have an affinity for that, so that's probably why it's a little more exciting to me. But I think it is really exciting in general. And actually, I think SLA is sort of doing something you know they went they went through that whole proposed name change thing quite a few years ago, but they're um, so they're not changing their name, but they are doing some kind of what are they calling it? I, there was something on their website or on the Southern California's um, section of SLA. Um, they called it a consultant's update, and it sounds like they're sort of looking at you know the definition of of what SLA is all about. You know, kind of the framework for them. So um, so it's interesting that you know that it's kind of 
more than just our association as well. I think there's other library and uh, law associations that are sort of looking at where they sit, you know, and where things, now that things have changed, kind of where their market is and where they want to position themselves. Yeah, I think so. that over the years, um, from my perspective, I've, um, I, I was teasing you before leading up to the show when I saw that on your list of things to talk about. Oh, no, here we go again. It, it seems like every few years we um, sort of dip back into that and wonder who we are. And, you know, and, and, and I, was, I really was teasing because it, it is um, something that's important to do. Even if we are, you know, as individuals or, you know, as a group are real confident about what we do, and I think we do a heck of a good job for the most part, um, it still is helpful to step back you know, and sort of figure out where, you know, what we're doing, where we're going, and making sure that we're, uh, you know, keeping up with the world as it uh, changes around us and as expectations for us do. So, so this is good. It'll be fun. Yeah. It looks like so, it's you've got a the whole process will take about a year. Yeah, I think it's I think it's eighteen months total. So like yeah, about a year and a half. So it. Okay. Will go okay. on. It will go on after I um, pass the gavel um, and continue, and the um, the next president will kind of see it to fruition. Yeah. Whatever it ends up being. Well, very good. Um, does anybody have any questions of Holly about um, what she's doing and the rest of your administration? You still have a couple of months to go, right? Yeah, I'm in I'm in the home stretch. Um yeah. I feel like I feel like the first half like maybe through December or January seemed kind of I don't know, normal or kind of regular and then I think after January it just kind of shot off like a rocket and it's been really very busy. I mean, part of that is, you know, we we talked a lot about a lot of things at the board meeting in the fall and so there were a lot of kind of initiatives or things we wanted to do or special committees to look at stuff. So um, there was a lot of change happening, which I think was part of it. But uh, but yeah. it's um, it's it's a lot. I think I have one more one more column to write. Um, so I've, I'm on the countdown there. I've got one more to write to get in for um, for Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I don't you so, know I mean somebody asked me the other day they said if you know would you do it again and I said I absolutely would. Um, I think it's it's a once in a lifetime experience. So when it all it's when it's all over, what are you going to miss the most? Um, Honestly, as much as the, like I get a lot of emails and I'm bombarded with a lot of information, I think it's that kind of, I mean, that constant connection. Um, You know, Kate Hagen and I have a weekly call and we talk about all the things that are going on. Um, And you get get really in it. I mean, I'm I'm totally in it and it's always kind of in my head and it's on my list of to-dos, things that are kind of going on. And um, I think that, as much as it'll be nice to kind of step away a little bit and maybe refocus my energies, um, I think it's always hard when you just sort of, you know, you're kind of done with something and you, you kind of change the way you you, re- you interact with, with the association. So that and racking up frequent flyer miles, but... Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> although, they, although United changed the way they do their miles, so 
Um, it's actually probably good I got most of my miles before they made the change because now I'm not getting as many. But yeah, that's it's neither here nor how there. How that stuff happens. Once, God, many years ago, it just so happened I had to attend three different conferences and I was interviewing for a job during a three-month period where United had the special triple miles deal. You know, so like in six months, I ended up with so many miles. I was, you know, they were treating me like royalty, uh, but it didn't <laughs> last. It did not last. Yeah. Uh, I, I but will it was also sure say, fun while it did, I tell you. Yeah. I will yeah. also say, I mean, obviously, as I'm still a member of the board, so I'll get to do um, chapter visits, continue to do chapter visits in the following year. But um, just having come back from the SEAL conference, um, I think that's one of the, the most exciting things is, you know, going to visit different chapters or different associations for their meetings and kind of, you know, really getting to, to talk to a lot of people. Um, you know, I like calling people on the phone and, you know, asking them to be a part of things, especially when people say yes and they're really excited about it. So um, just having that, you know, kind, kind of interaction um, has been really, um, really great for me too. Yeah. Well, very good. Um What is our time? Okay. Well, thank you very much, Holly, for uh, joining us. Um, uh, and, uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. And I uh, hope to have you, um, you know, back as a regular contributor at some point. So I would love to. I may not have all the inside scoops still, but uh, I'll try to try hey, to share well, what I we, can. But we have lots of fun on the uh, podcast, and none of us has the inside scoop or little <laughs> bits and pieces. So that's part of yeah. what it's all about. Well, yeah. let's turn our attention to our government uh, relations people. Um, sorry to keep you both waiting uh, patiently to give us your uh, update. Um, what's happening in uh, the world of uh, government and um uh as it relates to what we do. Hey Rich, um this is Emily Feltrin, Director of Government Relations for AAAL and I have uh Elizabeth Holland who's our public policy associate. Thanks so much for having us on today. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um and just yeah, just a side note that um you, of course, and Melissa Bernstein are both members of AAAL's Government Relations Committee as well. So you're, you know, in the thick of a lot of these issues too, um, which is really fun. Yeah. yeah. So there actually is a lot going on. Uh, um if, you know, you might not not might not think so if, you know, you read headlines sometimes about Congress, but this week in particular, um, we've actually been quite busy. So I'm going to kick it off talking about a few things, and and feel free to interrupt me, and then I'll hand it over to Elizabeth to talk about uh, net neutrality and privacy and a couple other things. So um, I'm going to start with sort of the breaking news item, um, which is that this week the House Appropriations Subcommittee that deals with funding for GPO, the Government Publishing Office, and the Library of Congress, uh, met and had a markup yesterday, which means they took a look at their draft bill um, and were preparing to vote on it. Um, the draft bill is actually really um, quite disappointing in that it provides um, 
ten million dollars less for GPO um, oh, than wow. was yeah was, than was in their um, proposed budget, which the GPO had requested flat funding for 2016. They had requested 120 million dollars, and the way that the funding was cut was just to totally take out um, the line item for the revolving fund. Now, what the revolving fund is, um, it's their business operations fund. So GPO does get money back into that fund from government agencies, um, which they then use to support their programs. But they also ask for funding um, for that program because they very desperately need it in order to support some of their infrastructure projects, um, which includes their IT projects, supporting FedSys, developing FedSys, um, their enterprise uh, systems internally, and then also just facilities upgrades um, for those of you who have been to GPO's building, it is old and it is creaky. And mm. the elevators, you might not want to get stuck in for too long. And the yeah. roof can be leaky and all these other things. Um, so, of course, you know, we're focused mainly on the government information aspect of it and are particularly concerned that the House uh, bill right now, as it stands, completely wipes out funding for the revolving fund. Um, this doesn't mean FEDSIS would disappear, but it certainly means that um, the upgrades that GPO is planning for FEDSIS, they're in the process of getting ready, sort of working through um, a beta new FEDSIS website that they'd like to launch soon. Um, they won't be able to get as far with that as they would have liked. They won't be able to add content and new collections to FEDSIS um, and work on some issues related to access and um, accessibility and discovery of information. So it's actually pretty um, troubling. This is not the first time that the House in particular has eliminated this line item, um, but it is particularly troubling, especially this year, because GPO really made an effort to keep their funding requests um, quite reasonable. As I said, it's, they were asking for flat funding, so they weren't really requesting any additional funds this year, um, and that's after you know their funds have been cut um, quite substantially in the last se several years. So it's really a big blow. Um, for those of you who um, might want to check out the, the hearing or the draft, you can go to appropriations.house.gov. Um, ranking member of the subcommittee, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, spoke quite eloquently about the need for funding for the revolving fund, talking about how if funding were cut, um, it could actually put at risk the um, free access that the public now has to FEDSYS. Um, which would really be unacceptable on many different levels. Um, no, so, can I ask you a kind of a stupid question here? What, I'm sure it won't be stupid, it, but of course. But why is it called? What is is it called? A revolving fund? Yeah, so it's called their business operations revolving fund because money does go in and out of it. It is used to support printing for federal agencies, and then when federal agencies um, pay GPO back for for printing. Um, it goes back into the revolving fund. Um, but well, so as I noted, that's not it, the funding that supports these additional projects, like the FedSys project and facilities repairs and things like that. But it seems like if it's, if it's money that is transactional between them and, you know, customers of all stripes, whether they're other government offices or you know, the public or or whoever, it seems to me that it should, government should keep their fingers out of it altogether. 
Yeah, well, there's the, just to clarify, so there's the the funds that are sort of the revolving funds, which are those going in and out. But in addition, they they add and they request this pretty limited uh, amount of money, so this year it's $10 million, from Congress to fund specific projects. So those is, oh. that money would not be part of the money that's going in and out. Um, that would be going to FEDSIS development or building upgrades and things like that. Oh, okay. um, also with, with the revolving fund, it's not something that's limited to a fiscal year. That 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 money can go beyond beyond the year. Right, that's true too. Thanks, Greg. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, so. So where things stand right now, um, the Appropriations Committee hasn't yet voted on this bill, but it is in committee. Um, so I have been encouraging this week uh, members, WAAM and chapter members, to contact their members of Congress, particularly if they serve on the House, House Appropriations Committee, um, to ask them to support funding for the revolving fund and to support putting that money back in um, so that GPO can continue to develop FEDSIS. Um, we have an action alert that I think Marcia put into the uh, chat box. Um, that action alert also goes to a general alert um, supporting both GPO and Library of Congress funding. Um, you yeah. can certainly, if your member is not a member of the House Appropriations Committee, you can certainly contact your member um, as well as your senators um, because, of course, the Senate Appropriations will be considering an alleged branch bill as well. Um, right now, as I said, we're focusing on House Appropriations, but um, we, you know, welcome your, your messages. If you are um, willing to send a message to your member of Congress, one of the things to keep in mind is that it's really best and you have the best chance of being heard and read if you personalize those messages. So while we do offer on our action site um, some sample messages, we encourage you to edit those messages with your own thoughts about why uh, FEDSIS and GPO uh, is so important to you, how it helps your work and uh, helps your library users and things like that. And and anybody listening uh, either live or or afterwards, um, and you if you take that step, be forewarned um, and don't be surprised if you don't get a phone call back or a you know a, a letter back um, you know, maybe it's usually going to be just a staff member uh, from your congressman or senator's uh, office, but they do read these things. Uh, first time I did it, I was uh, surprised to hear from the chief of staff asking questions about my letter and about why I was concerned. So, so I encourage yeah. to do it and know, keep in mind that they do get read and do get listened to. Yeah, thanks for that, Rich. And and the other thing is, I mean, even if you don't receive a response right away or maybe you receive a oh, less yeah. than, you know, inspiring response, it might be something that, that looks like it was sort of a general response. Um, those Your letters are being tallied by uh, the staff, and that means, you know, so your letter in support of GPO funding will go to that appropriate staffer and it will be marked as, you know, sort of uh, a constituent in support of uh, greater funding for GPO and that, that type of thing. So. Um, so certainly your messages are important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't want to take up all the time here. We have a lot we can potentially discuss. Yeah. So I'm just going to go over ULMA really quickly because most of our resources are already on Allnet. Um, we Right now, uh, the Uniform Electronic Legal Material Act uh, is moving through legislative the legislative process. Um, this session, bills are still pending in Massachusetts, New York, and Texas. 
Um, and we have some promising movement in all three of those states. We also still have time in some states uh, for potential introductions, and I've been working closely with some AAAL members and chapter members um, to uh, encourage introduction of ULMA in a couple of states. And I wanted to put in a plug for an upcoming training that Elizabeth and I will be doing on Wednesday, May 13th, which is a free training for AAAL members and chapter members on ULMA advocacy. And we'll be talking about best practices and challenges and how to work towards success um, and ultimate enactment of ULMA in your state. Um, so if the um, there's a link I can put in the chat box for signing up for that training. So if you're a AAAL or chapter member, I'd encourage you to do that. It's just a 30-minute training um, during the, the East Coast lunch hour from 12 to 12.30 um, East Coast time. Um, so I hope to see many of you there as well. Um, I think at this point I'm going to turn it over to my colleague Elizabeth to talk about a couple other issues that uh, AAAL is working on right now. Sure. Thanks, Emily. Hi, everyone. This is Elizabeth Hi. Holland. I'm the Public Policy Associate in AAAL's Government Relations Office here in D.C. Um, and as Emily mentioned, it has been a busy week legislatively uh, here in D.C., so I just wanted to touch on a couple of issues um, that have been coming up and are of interest to law librarianship, um, the first of which is sort of a topic du jour of late, and that's net neutrality. Um, so hopefully by now you've heard and celebrated the good news that net neutrality, which is the principle that all Internet traffic is treated equally, uh, is now the law of the land. Um, that's great news that is in result of the open Internet order that was adopted by the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, in mid-February this year. Um, and that open Internet order made it so that Internet service providers cannot unfairly speed up slow down or block some websites over others. Um, we've been celebrating the good news, but of course it is not without challenge, both legislative and legal, um, particularly of late. Um, as expected, the Internet and wireless service providers have filed lawsuits. To date, I believe there are six lawsuits that challenge the authority that the FCC used in enacting their open Internet order to protect network neutrality. Um, they regulated Internet service using the same legal tool that was originally written for legacy phone companies. That's Title II of the Telecommunications Act uh, of 1934. So we will continue to see these challenges play out in the courts. Um, and at the same time, many congressional Republicans have come out in opposition to net neutrality. So whether that has something more to do with the president's support for it or where they get their campaign donations perhaps more than real policy, we think. Um, you may have seen that the FCC chairman, Tom, Real Tom Wheeler, has really been given a shellacking uh, on the Hill. He's been visiting, making the rounds at congressional hearings. I think he spoke at five different hearings in March and really feeling the brunt of the Republican Party. Um, legislatively this week, there's been some movement um, to try and curb those FCC rules. Uh, Republican reps Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee and Doug Collins of Georgia both introduced measures last week that would set aside the FCC's ruling on net neutrality. Um, Rep Blackburn's bill is H.R. 1212, the Internet Freedom Act, and in her words, that would block the FCC's net neutrality rules by stating that they shall have no force and no effect, and it would also prohibit the FCC from reissuing any net neutrality rules. Okay. Um, similarly, Representative Collins' bill 
is a resolution of disapproval, which states that the House disapproves, um, or the Senate actually, that the House disapproves of net neutrality and that those rules would have no enforcement, um, but he's inciting it under the Congressional Review Act, which would mean that it would only need a simple Senate majority to pass under the procedural rules of the Congressional Review Act. Um, so clearly political moves to curb this net neutrality, uh, new law of the land from continuing forward. There were also three members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee this week that floated transparency-related bills um, that have more to do with the process by which the FCC adopted its open Internet order, but again, more political posturing on this issue. Um, that's all to say that if somehow, some way, any of this legislation passed through both chambers, which seems very unlikely, um, there's really no chance that President Obama would do anything but veto it and send it back to Congress and it would certainly lack the supermajority support it would need uh, to override a presidential veto. So we don't see that these legislative threats uh, have much staying powder. Uh, as I said, there's really more to do with political posturing than it does a real legislative fix. Yeah. And, and, um, and as we were talking about it on the Government Relations Committee um, and this Government Review Act popped up, mm -hmm. uh, for people who are listening, um, it's worth looking up and reading and reading about the history of the um, act. Um, it's it's a relatively new piece of legislation that was passed by, I don't know, whatever the party was that was uh, disgruntled in the mid-90s about what was um, the executive office was doing. And that's um, kind of a fast track to disapprove uh federal regulations. It's never really been successful. So. But it's an yeah, interesting act I've never heard of. What? Procedural gimmickry <laughs> happening recently. Yeah. I'll talk about another um, procedural gimmick that's being invoked in the Senate on another privacy-related issue in just a minute. Um, but all that to say about net neutrality legislation, while we do not support uh, these political efforts by the Republican Party to curb the open Internet order, AAAL would certainly support a legislative solution that would codify net neutrality in law. Um, as you all know well, law librarians rely on net neutrality to really fulfill your duty uh, to provide non-discriminatory non access to online legal content. Um, you know, net neutrality is what ensures that equal access to the Internet is available for all patrons um, and allows them a consistent and reliable way of access accessing information online. So a legislative fix that would give you know more firm legal footing to this principle is something we would definitely support and hope to see in the future. And then two other issues related to privacy came up this week, specifically patron privacy as we think of it, um, that are worth mentioning. First, in the interest of time, I'll just quickly touch on two information sharing uh, cybersecurity bills that were passed by the House this week. Uh, one is the Protecting Cyber Networks Act, PCNA, H.R. 1560. The other is the National Cybersecurity Protection Advancement Act of 2015, H.R. 1731. Uh, both passed this week in the House by a good margin on Wednesday and Thursday, although neither we feel is particularly good on the privacy or the transparency front. Um, as we have in the past with cybersecurity threat-sharing bills, we are opposing both bills because we feel that they would enable 
unnecessarily overbroad sharing of personal information to intelligence agencies uh, without adequate protections of privacy. They also would expand the use of FOIA exemptions. Neither of these bills would create a new FOIA exemption, although the bill that the Senate is considering would do so. But that obviously gets into some murky territory when it comes to transparency and good government. Um, but you can read more about our take on this legislation on our Washington blog. We just did a write-up of both bills, including a coalition letter we signed in opposition to H.R. 1560. Um, so those bills will move to the Senate, although, as I said, the Senate is considering their own cybersecurity bill. Um, and it looks like the Senate is hoping to vote on that before Memorial Day. So certainly an issue that we'll be keeping an eye on in the coming weeks. Hmm. And then perhaps of some more interest on the privacy front, uh, there was legislation introduced this week that would cleanly reauthorize Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which is set to expire on June 1st of this year otherwise. Uh, the bill number is S1035, and it would reauthorize this provision without amendment through the year 2020, so for another five years. And of course, Section 215, we've learned in really only the last two years, is what has been used to justify the NSA's full collection of Americans' telephone records. Um, this bill, yeah. troublingly, was introduced by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, of the Republican Kentucky. Um, and as I was saying before, he also invoked a Senate procedural gimmick called Rule 14 that would give the bill a fast track straight to the Senate floor and bypass any committee consideration, um, yeah. which is never good news to hear. Yeah. Um, obviously, AAAL strongly opposes S-1035. You know, we feel and we have felt since the Patriot Act was first enacted in 2001 that Section 215 really needs reform to better protect patron privacy. Section 215, of course, is what's been known as the library records provision because it allows the government to seize a wide range of documents, including library records, under the definition of any tangible item. Um, the glimmer of hope is that we are expecting to see reform legislation for 215 introduced next week in both the House and Senate. Um, it looks like the House will probably move quickly on it as well. That will be a version of the USA Freedom Act, which AAAL supported in the last Congress and which passed the House and then uh, failed only by a very narrow margin a procedural vote in the Senate at the very end of last Congress. Um, so we'll be looking for that and calling on you all to take action in support of USA Freedom and to oppose S1035, uh, the McConnell Clean Reauthorization. Um, it's possible that this bill that was just introduced is just sort of a backup plan should negotiations fail before the June 1st expiration date of Section 215. But either way, you know, we're wary to see such a straight and narrow reauthorization of um, this mass surveillance authority uh, by the Senate Majority Leader. So we will be tracking that issue closely and calling for your help soon. Wow. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff happening. It's It's been busy, despite <laughs> yeah. all you hear about D.C. <laughs> yeah. Getting it all done, done now that the Easter Passover recess is over and they're actually in town for a few weeks. Boy, and the privacy issue is one, in a lot of ways, I think you only, you know, touched on a couple of the important issues. There are so many other initiatives that are, 
out there legislation that's pending and proposed regulations that'll affect you know students and health records and all kinds of other stuff. It's really Absolutely. getting scary. Well, thank you very much for all this gloomy news. Um, <laughs> I wish I had something better to report. Yeah, well, you're doing a good job for us. And, um, you know, I want to encourage everybody to, to um, you know, come to, like, the um, advocacy uh, training that's offered at AALL and a number of other programs that you do. Don't you do an update? at the annual meeting and some other the beginning of the meeting here so uh as you said thank you the legislative advocacy training will take place on saturday july 18th um from 8 30 a.m to 12 p.m and you can register free of charge as you're registering for uh the conference emily just sent out the registration link so i hope you'll you'll attend and that's something where we focus um, not only on our legislative priorities and successes of the last year, but also the skills needed to be involved in our advocacy work. Um, this year we're focusing on relationships with lawmakers and legislators. And then the public policy update will be Sunday, July 19th from 4 to 5 p.m., is that correct? Uh, I believe so, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern in Philly. Um, and you'll hear about the great work that the GRC members, including Rich and Melissa, have been up to this year as well as the work of our Copyright Committee and our Digital Access to Legal Information Committee um, in sort of a small roundtable format where you can talk more candidly with the committee chairs. Um, so it's a great way to stay sort of abreast of everything we've been doing and everything we will be doing in the years to come and, of course, where your effort is needed to help support us. Um, so I certainly encourage you to attend if you'll be in Philadelphia. And, you know, things are moving so quickly with... Um, legislation and the way technology is is uh, facilitating a lot of change that I think it's in a lot of ways more important than um, ever for all of us to be aware of what's going on um, out there that might affect us and, uh, you know, as a result, get involved and try to do something. Well, thank you very much for that uh, update again. Um, You're welcome. Do you have any more that you'd like to um, throw at us before we move on to our? <laughs> well, next I know talk? you asked me to uh, to just give a quick update on Pacer, so I'll just do that in about oh, thirty seconds. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is that after the the fall um, disappearance of Docket and other information from Pacer debacle that we all remember well in August and September. Uh, members of Congress did not take kindly, and actually that raised a lot of eyebrows on Capitol Hill about what was going on with the administrative office and PACER. Um, but come spring 2015, that issue has not gone away, um, and members of Congress are still working to bring some more transparency to the administrative office um, and try to increase accountability at the AO along with PACER. So I just wanted to give a quick um, 10 seconds to let you all know that AAAL is working with several congressional offices, including Chairman Grassley and Senator Leahy, on this issue, um, and it is ongoing and um, I think is an issue that we'll see more attention in the coming months as well. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we um, 
I should let everybody know we're we're going to this is another topic that we're not going to be able to the whole issue of preservation and what does it mean um that we're going to be able to do um everything that we wanted we had a um a couple of people that we wanted to invite on the panel who we weren't able to get a hold of and so that's why we're part of why we're saving it to the end um and in 10 minutes i'm not sure we'll be able to do it much justice other than to just mention some issues but it is something that won't go away and so we'll revisit on a uh later podcast perhaps in uh, philadelphia so um Melissa and Elizabeth are sort of our resident experts uh, on um, preservation. Um, do what, so what what is Preservation Week, and what does it mean? What does it mean? What are we talking about? Anybody oh, want Melissa, to do you want stab it? I don't. I, I think calling myself an expert's a. a too, too far, but Melissa, do you want to take this? Uh, well, I can tell you what Preservation Week is because I pulled it up being a good librarian on the AI. <laughs> there you go. Um, and apparently it was started in about 2010 by ALA, um, specifically the Association for Library Collections and Technical Services. Um, they started this with a bunch of national partners, and it was really to draw attention after the results of a survey that they did that um, at the time, the survey was done, it says, in 2004, and it showed that about 1.3 billion items needed treatment to reduce the rate of risk and damage. And so um, it's basically just drawing attention to the need for preservation of um, different types of resources, uh, mostly held, I guess, in, in libraries. but. Um, so that's kind of how it all started. To which I would, well, I mean, so when when I hear that, and I'm familiar with with um, those issues, I just whenever I hear preservation, I keep thinking of you know improving book bindings and archival paper and um, things like that. And then you know for a while there. Um, in fact, I think that's how LLMC ended up becoming, you know, the reason that it formed was to make uh, archival microform copies of materials that were in danger of being um, corroded or disintegrating. Um, yeah, you know, they, they also mention um, that several libraries just have no staff or money at all for, um, let's say, collection maintenance or collection upkeep. Um, and some of the environmental factors that you mentioned, like light, pollutants, uh, moisture, mm -hmm. um, heat, and excessive dryness, you know, there's um, – so there are several uh, – factors that, that contribute, um, mm -hmm. but I guess, you know, we also look at it more broadly in addition to, it, in addition to um, materials that can deteriorate. We also have uh, materials that maybe there's only one copy left and it's in danger of being, you know, something ever happens to it, um, you know, there it goes. So uh, it just draws attention to the need for preservation more widely. Yeah. 
and I'd agree, and, and I think the and not to derail the intentions of Preservation Week, but I think that you know the important piece of this too that should be, I think, almost equally emphasized is the access. And I think that's where we kind of get digitization in there because, I mean, it's great to preserve things. And then we should be especially last copies, special collections. But, you know, we don't want to get to the point where, you know, preservation, people think of preservation and it ends up being like that scene from the end of Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark where it's the warehouse in boxes. (laughs) You know, we want to make sure that, you know, this stuff is accessible. And I think that also helps libraries, their mission and, you know, improving relationships with stakeholders and patrons when we can take this information, these materials, and make them accessible. And usually, especially now, and especially in law libraries, that means digitization. And, you know, whether it's special collections, primary legal materials, you know, or all the just different ephemera and materials that we all have. And I guess to that end, one of the reasons that I'm here today is as a representative of LIPA, and uh, our executive director is sorry that she couldn't be here today. But just to kind of highlight some of the activities that LIPA um, is is working on and has been working on, Uh, one is the palm print project. That's for the um, primary legal materials in print. We're currently completing our second year of the three-year pilot and have ingested over 60,000 volumes. They're currently working on uh, filling the gaps in that collection and also trying to determine what its future will be. Um, We've held uh, our first successful webinar this year, uh, which was in February. It was called Digitization is Possible. And there was a recording and a toolkit um, that came out of that webinar, both of which are available on the LIPA website. Um, And that also helps uh, identify some resources for uh, digitization and some of the standards and best practices for that. Um, Along the lines of what I guess uh, Elizabeth was just saying, uh, LIPA co-sponsored the the Law Repositories Conference last month and also presented a debate on digital preservation there, which I guess we're hoping to possibly recreate on the podcast. Um, That was called, uh, Is Digitization Preservation? And debated sort of whether it is or isn't. Um, and we have a program coming up at AALL in Philly called Quality Digitization Projects on a Budget. Uh, one thing to look for next week is that we are about to launch a survey of digitization projects that various libraries are working on. Um, this was, is the product of the LIPA Content Registry Task, task Force, um, which I guess was following up on a study which had been done in 2005. So be on the lookout for that, and we'll ask anyone who has a digital project underway to, to complete that. Um, uh, we also offer web archiving through um, an Archive It consortial discount. And as, um, I'm sorry, I'm just blanking on the name right now, Ken. As Ken mentioned, uh, we do have a law review preservation part program in partnership with B-Press and Clocks. Uh, which I think Ken mentioned before. And uh, if folks have heard of PERMA CC, uh, LIPA is a um, supporting partner of PERMA, which is a web web archiving tool which helps with link rot. So um, we have a lot of things going on. I would encourage your library to become a member if it isn't already and to check out our resources on the LIPA website. 
So thank you for letting me take some time to get up on my soapbox there. Good job. You covered almost everything I, I there. I covered it all in a short period of time. That was hey, my plan. so I'm gonna what clocks, ahead. can you um, explain, what does clocks mean? I think Ken might be better for that one if he's still with us. I'm still with you. I'd have to look up the C part of it. Uh, LOCK stands yeah. for lots of copies keep stuff stupid, uh, stupid, safe. Safe. <laughs> no, that's so basically what I, it's a it's it's an automated archiving system that that uh, goes through online information and copies it to another host. Right. Well, that right. means that's, that that's. That's especially necessary for, for instance, if you use B-Press so that the materials aren't hosted on your own site, right? So this way you have another copy of it somewhere else. I mean, and that's the the million-dollar question in my mind is the, um, you know, so if you have the last copy of a book. So we you preserve it, and then you digitize it to make it available to to everybody. Well, you know you still are you have digital copies and the one copy of the book. So what you know it's valuable to have both. But if you roll forward, so much of our information now is being produced in um, digital format. So if it's produced originally in digital format, backing it up or preserving it gets to be kind of uh, backing it up with backing it up with ephemera with ephemera in my mind. So it's a tricky issue, but something that we will have to uh, take up at a later time. We're down to less than a minute. So, um, first of all, I want to thank everybody who is on the call. Um, uh, Greg, Sarah, Melissa, uh, Emily and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth in Florida, and Ken, and Holly just left uh, a minute ago to talk with Terry Gross, uh, Marcia, my co-host. Thank you very much, everybody, for uh, being here. And thanks for having us, Rich. Thank you. Then this is one this is the the awkward part of the um the podcast. We have ten seconds left and I can't think of a clever way of signing off. So I'll just say until we meet again, happy trails or something like that. Right. We're done. We're no longer. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks. I'll see you all in Philly, if not before. All right, let's hope it's not 103 degrees this time. Oh, my God. You know, that's the one thing about Philadelphia. It can get it can get hot. Hey, Greg, before you hang up, are you um, – I think it would be a really great idea to get um, maybe Corey and Pablo uh, Arredondo and a bunch uh-huh. of people from the startups on a podcast to talk about stuff. What do you think? I think so. You know, we had uh, uh, Anurag from Google Scholar yes. years ago. Yeah, 
came on. So it it wouldn't be unheard of, and I think they would be happy. I'll be in touch. Okay. Hey, and we may look at uh, maybe bringing in someone from the uh, the other coast with the uh, Iron Tech Lawyer thing that uh, yes. Georgetown does. Awesome. So Roger can help us out with that. Right. Right. That would be way cool. All right, man. All right. Take it easy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.